Cuff Radio is about to begin. Everybody loves a hero. I believe there's a hero in all of us. I want to thank you for listening tonight. We are listening to a two-part episode, and tonight will be episode two. Welcome to Real Cuff Radio. And before we start tonight, I just want to say, because I know a lot of people that start listening and they turn it off and go, well, that show's not for me. And I'll be honest with you, yes, this is for you, because whether you have a family member that's having problems with this or or just a, a kid in high school, everybody's going through these situations right now. And so who I have on the on the phone tonight is Jeff Harshbarger. So Jeff was a former Satanist, and he's got a couple of books out that are really good. So let me share a little bit about um, the occult and how I got into Satanism. Is that okay? Yes, that'd be great. Okay. I mean, at the, the kind of a, a quick shift, but um, when I was a little kid, like, like I shared, my dad used to, seriously, he came back from, uh, from Vietnam, and he had post-traumatic stress and his anger, his dysfunction was, I was the target of it. And I went through a lot of, uh, gosh, a lot of his just anger and, and, and alcoholism and just the, the, the whole domestic violence and just the instability of our home. I had, you know, a, a large family and we were very disconnected from society in that we moved a lot being in the military and um, having no social roots and going through that level of dysfunction and abuse, I became, of course, angry and then became anger. And from the anger, which gave me the fuel to turn towards destruction, I um, started to have some really supernatural experiences. My parents brought home a um, an Ouija board and... Uh, Myself, my my sister, my brother, uh, we sat down and we were doing you know the Ouija board, and I just thought it was a you know a neat game, and uh, everyone else did, and the oracle on the Ouija board was moving around, and I thought my brother you know was was doing it, playing a game on my sister, and um, so I took the Ouija board one time up to my bedroom, and uh, I sat down and I started asking this thing questions, and you know, you, you put your fingers on the, the oracle really light, and this thing started moving around. And it scared me, but not at the same time, it excited me. It was kind of like that roller coaster fear. You're afraid, but you're enjoying it, <laughs> you know? And it fueled an interest for other things. But after that experience, I started to realize or notice um, kind of a strange like presence in my room it was that it was kind of like the uh, the reality or the, the the feeling of someone's watching you but you can't you, you can't see who who it is or where they are and I would wake up in the middle of the night and um, I could almost tangibly feel this presence and it didn't Again, it didn't scare me in a bad way. It scared me in, in a sense that I was excited. So I would get up and, to be honest with you, I'd walk around the house, 
you know, to see if it's just in my room or is it everywhere or is it just following me or that kind of thing. And the more I experienced it, the more I wanted to know what this was because it was uh, it, it was real to me, you know. And I, no one was talking about it in my family, but I was experiencing it. And then I started to have, um, like, dreams, and the dreams would come true. And specifically, I had um, a dream where I was in my bedroom, woke up, went down the staircase, went to our Christmas tree, and I approached our Christmas presents, and I somehow just knew what was in every one of my presents, okay? So the following day after that dream, I went down, I woke up, I went downstairs, and I explained to my mom that I knew what was in all of our boxes, my boxes. And she got mad at me, Todd, and because I was right. She got mad at me because she thought I was opening up the presents, you know, and, and kind of looking at what I was going to get before I should have. So I got punished for sharing what was happening to me. So what I did was I started to not share what was going on. And I didn't want to be punished. I didn't want to be thought of as weird. I didn't want, so I, I kept it to myself. And as I kept it to myself, I started to have more intense experiences. So the experiences led to me, by the you know time I was in middle school, uh, I really started to study about the occult and paranormal. And this is back in the time, too, when the amazing Kruskin and Gene Dixon and those types of Uri Geller bending spoons. So it was, you know, it was, in, it was in front of me on television, and I thought, okay, that's what I have. You know, I have, I have these powers or abilities, so I'm going to study up on it and, you know, get myself out of this family because this family is dysfunctional. We're poor. Uh, we're, the cops are coming to our house a lot because of domestic violence. My dad's a, an alcoholic, and it's just not the life I want to live. So I'm going to become this entertainer like Gary Geller and make a lot of money and have a show in Las Vegas. I, you know, I'm, I'm a kid trying to figure life out. But by the time I hit high school, um, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just so depressed. Life is, is hard. And I turn to drinking and marijuana, and from marijuana I find pills and cocaine and all kinds of things. But I'm still having supernatural experiences. And by the time I am a senior, I'm giving a very quick testimony here, but by the time I'm a senior in high school, um, I'm in Indiana, and there is a, uh, a blizzard in my hometown. And I'm working at a department store, and I'm trying my best to get home because my house is on the other side of town. And because typically I would just walk. Um, and the assistant manager of the store uh, walks up to me and said, you know, I heard you on the phone, and, you know, you're having a difficult time finding a ride getting home, he goes, I live around the corner. You can spend the night and then go home tomorrow. I said, that's fine. Um, so we, after work, walk over to his apartment. Um, it's about a mile or so down the road. Stop off, get a six-pack. And when he opens up his apartment door, 
Todd, I walked in there, and it was the same presence in his apartment that I had been experiencing as a kid. And I just kind of went, whoa, something's going on. I mean, seriously, what is this? So we sat down, we started chit-chatting. I looked around his apartment, and Todd, he didn't have normal, you know, apartment stuff. He didn't have posters and whatnot for for his living room. I mean, he had occult paraphernalia, and it was it was new to me. And I just looked at him and I said, you know, what is this stuff? And he started to share with me that he was a Satanist. And I was like, what in the world is that, right? And he explained, you know, what he believed, how he wanted to live, and uh, what he was going to do. He had aspirations. And he asked me if I was interested. And I said, of course I am. You know, I've been, I've been waiting for the answer to my experiences and this ability and the presence and all of it. So I thought this was pretty much the open door for me to step into, you know, my destiny, if you will. So and you basically form- you you basically were set up almost to this point because you were you were already looking for something. Oh yeah, absolutely. I was I was looking for an escape from from my life, you know, and with that Ouija board, I mean that was that was like the the what piqued my interest because I knew there was more. I mean I knew there was more because I didn't move that oracle. You know, so there is there is a a, a power or there is another side or, or whatever that I had to tap into and once the presence was around me, I mean from the third grade through high school, I was used to living with someone or something, but I didn't know what it was, so I was on a path of discovery. And when I walked into his apartment, it coincided with my experience. It was the same spirit, the same feeling, the same presence. And I said, yeah, this is, this is absolutely right, because it's like the culmination of my journey. It you know, ends up right here in this guy's apartment, and he's asking me if I want to be one. I've been waiting to be a Satanist. I mean, this explains all everything that I've ever known. And, you know, I mean, I was going to be basically rich, good-looking, and skinny, you know, the American dream, and Satan was going to give me, <laughs> and, you know, the goods of this earth if I would just bow down and worship him. And, you know, being a, a desperate young man uh, who just wanted a life and wanted out, I, I was willing to take anything, even the, the crumbs from the table. And uh, like I said, my, my friend, he, he uh, formed a, a pentagram, a satanic pentagram on the ground. And we did a, an initiation ceremony. And he uh, told me to stand in the middle of this, of this uh, pentagram. And he dedicated me to Satan. And he became possessed. Todd, I mean, he... Be- came totally, he was not there anymore, and this being moved him and looked at me, and I knew that I was dealing with the presence in someone else's body. And at this point, I didn't know it was a demon, per se, because I hadn't been educated, you know, and and I wasn't knowledgeable of what I was actually doing. So I looked in his eyes, and this guy started to pray over me, and he started praying over me in tongues 
he started speaking languages I'd, I'd never heard of. And when he prayed in tongues and laid hands on me, this, 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 like it felt like a bloodbath. I, I mean, my my blood rushed, and and I became demonically possessed. And it was a literal transference of spirits. What was in this guy who laid hands on me came inside of me and possessed me, and then I felt its power. I felt its abilities and. I identified with it, and I embraced it, and I wanted it. And then I heard the demon inside of me laugh. And it was the most diabolical, cynical, nasty, mocking laugh. You know, like, I've got you now, you're going to hell, kind of laugh. And from that day forward, this man personally discipled me for the next four years in, you know, satanic ceremonies and that type of thing. And we... um we left, I graduated, I ended up uh, going to high school, you know, I, I graduated high school. But here's the thing, Todd, that, that occurred was when I was demonically possessed, immediately I started to take on the attributes of what was inside of me. I went from being this um, anxiety, depressive human being to becoming, I became literally a very outgoing uh, personality, very cocky, very arrogant, very full of myself because that's the persona, uh, that's the personality uh, you know the demon that was living inside of me and people recognized it and i started to change my not just my my personality but just my whole way of living i became a really sharp dresser and wearing very expensive clothes and I was very peacock-like. I was walking down the school hallway rather than trying to be a wallflower. I was the I was the the peacock because I was, you know, the day before I was a, a loser in society, and today, you know, I I'm a Satanist and I own the world, and I went out and you know, paraded it to be honest with you, and everyone was like, wow, you know, look at you, Harshbarger, you're really. I'm like, yeah, I'm really better than you, and I I just was arrogant and I, I started to not hang out with you know the, the people in my hometown and I started to hang out with uh, people much older than me and I once I graduated high school I left I went to uh, Newcastle Indiana and found out very quickly about Christians <laughs> it was a town that had a church that was so on fire that there was no way that I, as a Satanist, could survive in that town. It was almost humiliating, to be honest with you, but I didn't know that going into the town. I moved there because that was my, this, this man, uh, I'll call his name Steve, um, was my teacher. And he said, we're, we're leaving you know, your hometown and we're moving to his hometown. And his hometown, I found out, he used to be a Christian. And he uh, went to this church when he was growing up. And this church knew him, and they knew what he was involved in. So they came after us. They prayed for us. Everywhere I went in that town, there was a Christian waiting for me. And I mean this. I would go to the grocery store, and there would be a Christian behind me. And he'd say, excuse me, did you know Jesus loves you? If I went to the laundromat and I put my clothes in the dryer, the dryer, the guy in the dryer next to me would look at me 
and tell me about the love of God. If I went to a restaurant, I couldn't eat a cheeseburger by myself. I remember I was at a, a, a drive-in, and <laughs> uh, Billy, who was a Christian on fire, came up and stuck his head in my car and said, Jeff, I just want to tell you about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. I rolled up the window on Billy's head, and I said, Billy, I don't want to know about your Jesus. I don't want to know about you. I don't even want to see you again in my life. Leave me alone. And I thought about driving, you know, pulling Billy with his head in my window, but I didn't want to be a criminal at that point. So I let Billy go, and I left town with my teacher because we had to because the Christians were driving us crazy. It was exhausting. So we went to Muncie, Indiana. I started to attend Ball State, Indiana, I mean Ball State University. And I wanted to be a child psychologist. And when I went to Ball State, the first place that I rented with my teacher, we had a house. He was going to school, I was going to school. And my heater, my water heater broke down. I called my landlord. My landlord came over. <clears throat> He's fixing my water heater. And I'm sitting on my couch. And he turned around and goes, Jeff, i got to tell you about the love of God. <laughs> and, and I was listening at this point because I was thinking, holy Toledo, you know what? I'm feeling like I'm being chased. And Todd, my mom got saved during this time as well, okay? And during this time, she and my dad had divorced. My mom came to Christ. <clears throat> my mom said, Jeff, I'm praying for you. And the Lord told me he's going to use you. I said, that's great, Mom. Appreciate it. See you later. And I walked away. But everywhere I went after she told me that, there was a Christian. So what we did, we moved out of that house. Again, I'm on, I'm running. I'm running away. There's, you know, there's nowhere for me to go. So what I did was <clears throat> we went to another house. And my teacher and I said, we're going to raise up kids and bring them, you know, form a coven, and we're going to uh, combat this. We're going to actually start evangelizing, and um, which we did. Okay, so are you still there? Yeah, I'm still here. I I want you to explain a little bit, especially because you know knowledge is power, and on these kids. When you were evangelizing them, I mean, a lot. Mm -hmm. these, I, I noticed you first had started out kind of with high school kids and then moved up to the college kids. But it, it's almost like let's get them high, get them drunk, and then yeah. they'll be more acceptable. And, and you kind of see a lot of that going on in these universities and stuff. And uh, I don't know, if, you know, as much with the high schools and stuff, but uh, um, that was kind of the tactic, right? Yeah, it was. In in the Satanic Bible, at least back in the day, <clears throat> I haven't done my research here, you know, recently because I'm I'm more moving more into the mental health field. But back in the day the Satanic Bible was the number one selling book on college campuses. I mean on a on a national level. And this is back in the you know, the eighties and nineties. So we knew we knew there was an interest. We just had to introduce it, you know, the opportunity. And what we would do is we would attend parties 
And you know, my uh, my teacher Steve and I uh, presented ourselves as everything someone else wants to be. You know, and we would gain the rapport of whoever, and we wouldn't go after the kids that you know are you know, sloppy drunk, that kind of thing, because it's horrible talking to a drunk person to begin with. But we would sit down and just, you know, be social and, and, and gain the ear and, and talk to kids. And ironically, the interest was already there, kind of like my interest was already there. You know, it's, it's like these kids were having experiences. These, these kids were, were like, yeah, that makes sense because this happened. Or, you know, I've always believed this, that kind of thing. So there was the intoxication plus the coincidence of their experience and the culmination of they believing this is their destiny. And we immediately had a group of about six kids come in. And these weren't kids that were social outcasts. These were kids that were, you know, <clears throat> the, 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 the kids of... Uh, teachers and and lawyers and you know society's best if that makes sense and because everyone kind of always thinks that you know it's the outcasts or you know there's this uh illuminati type thing you know it's, it's just your regular you know regular society people that that believe in and practice these things so the the group getting the group together wasn't it wasn't difficult it wasn't difficult at all um, and then of course uh, you know they were going to, they were going to college I was going to college my teacher was going to college so we all said hey why don't we just you know rent one big house and live together you know um, share the cost of the house and that way um, our expenses are down and it just makes it real easy for uh, us to learn you know, together about what, what what our belief is. And so we all moved in together. <clears throat> and what began to happen was my teacher started to separate himself from the rest of the crowd, okay, because he thought at this point he was moving up and he was going to train me to lead this this group of kids and he was going to move on that type of thing. So he was a little bit more elite. He became more arrogant. He became more high-end. And I was face-to-face uh, -face with all of these kids. And the, when I say these kids, I mean, there was a couple years difference between they and myself. Uh, I would be, you know, 20 and they would be 18, that kind of thing. But I found, um, Todd, that as they came to me, you know, I, I, became, I began caring for them as human beings. And it broke my heart because we would go into ceremonies, we would have rituals, and I watched each and every one of these teenagers, you know, become demon-possessed. And though I was demon-possessed, during the ritual, I was feeling for them. I felt horrible. I felt bad. I didn't, I didn't think that this was right. I mean, it was like my conscience and my heart was still very alive, and it bothered me. So they came to me, you know, with their life issues, and I found myself doing a whole lot more kind of the uh, satanic pastoral counseling, you know, and, and fathering and being their best friend. And I'm finding that uh, my heart isn't dying. I'm not as demon-possessed as I wanted to be. And um, 
I, I was finding myself, you know, really like trying more and more to become less of me and more demonic, you know, a little bit more uh, less heart oriented. And it wasn't working. It, it, it really wasn't working because um, I just I just never died to that that love or the human inside of me. You know, I, I never became that person. So <clears throat> what happened, and I'm moving rather quick, but what happened was um, I was having problems with my own humanity, and I asked my teacher what was wrong with me, and he said that um, I had a problem. I had an issue. And I said, yeah, I know that. I just explained to you my heart's not dying. I'm not growing. I'm, not, I'm starting to lose my abilities, if you will. My, my uh, demonic experiences are starting to diminish, and uh, I'm not liking it. I'm, I'm feeling less and less powerful, if you will. And he said, you have a problem. You're angelically oppressed. And I said, what does that mean? Because you know, it sounds like angels, sounds like God, you know, that kind of thing. And he said, yeah, you have angels around you, and that's your problem. And he just walked away from me. And Todd, he, he told me too much because, you know, here I was. I, I was a Satanist, and I was thinking, you know, Jesus is dead, you know. Um, I'm feeling the powers of demons, but yet they can be controlled. That means I'm, I'm, I'm dealing with the wrong God. I mean, I can be stopped in my tracks. Wait a minute, I've been walking in confidence. I've been walking in arrogance. I've been walking in, I'm starting to fool myself. You know, and that messes with your head. So I attempted to kill myself because the demons inside of me, not only was I thinking, I'm, you know, I made a bad, bad mistake, made a bad decision, the demons inside of me started to turn on me and torment me like I did something wrong. So they're tormenting me, and my mind's going crazy because I don't know what to do. I don't want to be a Christian because I just don't. I don't. I mean, I didn't have a legitimate reason. So I attempted suicide. <clears throat> I went and purchased a, a gun, and I went into a hotel room in Muncie, Indiana, and I... Um, I tried to blow my head off. I went in there with a bag of dope and some whiskey to try to numb the pain. And I couldn't even drink and smoke. I just I just couldn't. It was like I just didn't have it in me to get intoxicated. And I just tried to put the gun against my head. And I literally, Todd heard a voice say, where are you going to spend eternity? You know? And wow. at that point, at that point, I literally felt like, okay, I'm, I'm crazy. I'm, I mean, I'm, I need to be locked up somewhere, you know. So I just put my gun down and just said, I don't even know what to do. You know, I just, oh, I'm, I'm confused. So I went to sleep. The next day, I went back home with all of the Satanists. There was about seven, eight of us at the point. And I tried to party with them. You know, I tried to uh, 
smoke myself, drink myself into a stupor so I'd be numb and things could go back to normal because the day before I failed it, suicide. I mean, what else could I do? And um, I tried to bring a cigarette up to my mouth and it literally burned my lips and I opened up a beer and my stomach did one of those, you know, the flip-flops. Um, and the again, I mean, the, the, the opportunity to be intoxicated was, was not available. And I just was like, holy Toledo, you know, I mean, what? I'm just dazed. I, I mean, I'm in a stupor as, as in what is happening. I'm completely losing control. Something else is in control, you know, and I don't like it. I don't understand. I'm not getting it. I'm, I'm, I'm dazed. And my teacher saw that I was like that, and he grabbed the rest of the group of Satanists because, you know, I was, I was so messed up. And he said, come on, we're going to a different place. We're going to another party, you know. So they all left. So I went to bed, and I tried to sleep, and I just laid there, and I started to cry. And, man, I mean, I cried like I've never cried before. I cried like a baby, literally just that, just that sobbing, drenching, I'm breaking, you know. I don't know what to do. And from the foot of my bed... I heard, get out. The words, get out. And it wasn't a kind suggestion. It was, in, it was like a directive. It was, it was a command. And, and it was very sharp. It was, get out. Just like that. And I lay there and I thought, of course, you know, this is a demon coming to get me and it is going to kill me. Um, and, and I would have welcomed that to be honest with you. So I just lay there. I wasn't afraid. I just lay there waiting for the next step. And then the voice came from the side of my bed, not the foot of my bed. It was literally like in my face. And it said, get out. And that scared me, Todd. I'll be honest with you. That scared me to where I opened up. I didn't even go through my house. I just opened up my bedroom window and I stepped outside. I just went outside. Didn't know where I was going. No, didn't, I mean, I wasn't cognitive, you know, of what was really occurring. I was just responsive. And I opened up my window, and I stepped into a completely, totally different presence. And I got on my face. I immediately, it was like, I just, I just bowed. <laughs> I had no idea who I was meeting, but I knew this was bigger than anything I've ever experienced in my life. And I, I just laid on my gravel driveway on my face. And I got up and I was still, I, I was just crying. And I just looked up and I said, look, I don't know who you are, but just make my life okay. <laughs> I can't take much more. Would you just make it okay? So after that, I basically separated from my group. And I am demon-possessed but I'm not identifying as a Satanist, but I don't know what I just experienced, so I start looking for help. So I started going to churches. You know, I don't know what else to do or who else to speak to, but I went to churches looking for help. And I went to a good half dozen churches, 
sat down, listened to what they were preaching and what they were saying, and I stuck around and I asked if I could speak to, you know, either a staff member, a pastor, somebody. And I heard a lot of people tell me about, you know, joining their church and the new gym they're going to build, and they have men's ministry that I could get involved in, and every Friday night they have spaghetti dinners and that type of thing, but no one said, what, how can we help you, you know? And um, I finally went to a little church, um, Faith Fellowship, Muncie, Indiana, and I walked in, and I it was a Wednesday night, and I sat on the back pew, and I had these demons inside of me. I was wearing sunglasses because my eyes were light-sensitive, and I was 125 pounds. I hadn't been eating for a long time. And I sat there, and I just, after the sermon, I just waited. Somebody please help me, you know? And Harry Richardson came up to me, and Harry greeted me and asked me over to his house. He and his wife, Joe Richardson, would like to have me over for dinner the following Monday. He'd pick me up and we could go over there and have dinner, which I did. They picked me up. I arrived and they were uh, Ball State College, uh, University professors and um, beautiful home. Everything was, was, I mean, the meal was fantastic. It was awkward because I didn't know how or what to do with these people. And I, after dinner, we went into the living room. We had dessert. And they just were trying to get to know me, you know, and started asking me questions. And I just looked at Joe, the wife, and I said, i got to be honest with you. I've been a Satanist for the last four years. And she just looked at me and said, well, you need prayer. And I said, yes, ma'am, I do. <laughs> Thank you right? And she reached for me. And when she reached for me, she grabbed my hand and we formed a circle and started praying. And when she started praying, the demons inside of me started to come out and my body started to move. And I turned and Todd, I looked her in the eyes. I just turned and faced and I looked at her. And when she looked at me, the demon was petrified terrified, the fear that that demon had of that woman <laughs> was, it, it was, it was amazing. And it, and it came out of me. And when the demons came out of me, I knew it immediately because it was like um, a light switch came on. It was like the darkness was gone. And I ran into their bathroom because for the last four years, Every morning I've been shaving my face, looking into my eyes and seeing the demons. And I went to the bathroom, looked in the mirror, and um, the demons were gone. And I just got happy. <laughs> I just started laughing and crying for joy. And It's uh, amazing, though, how, I mean, how many different churches did you go to before somebody actually prayed for you? Um, a good... I was probably a good half dozen. Wow. And, and here's the thing, Todd, and, and one of the reasons why I've become that person that always, and I mean this, always asks people, are you okay? Is there anything I can do to help you? Because 
society is full of people that need help. And no one no one's listening. No one's asking the question. No one's, you know, they see the need, but it's easy to walk past it because we don't want to be involved. And all it took was someone praying for me. And the demons, like I said, Todd, when they left, they were petrified. They were scared. They were terrified. They were in such fear. And that's what I tell Christians. You guys don't fear the devil, man. He is scared to death of you. Don't 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 think that the devil's all this 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 powerful being, you know. The devil is the Wizard of Oz, that little bald man behind the veil, projecting the image of power. He is a little inept man who doesn't even know how to speak straight. He's delusional. He he's the father of lies. He believes his own lies. He's so messed up. There is nothing to fear. There is no one there that's worthy of your fear. The only fear that we are to have is of God. And that fear is a healthy reverence of God. So fear doesn't even need to occur in a Christian's life. But they've got to know, too, they've got to know, too, who they are in Jesus. I mean, it can't be... uh... It doesn't matter if they can win the bingo game, you know, at church. I mean, that's that's the problem. Like you said, you went to some and they were having spaghetti dinner or we're having yeah, but, yeah. But they it don't, was like they it don't was know who they are in Christ. It was it was like they're and this is this is something I share too, Todd. Is is you know the, I I don't have time for the Christian culture. You know, this is these are the things Christians do. It's like no, I'm really not interested because. You know, the things that, that Christians do, we don't smoke, we don't this, we don't this, we don't this. You know, it's like, yeah, but there's a whole life that we are to be doing. And, and that is, like you said, is in knowing God. And knowing God, there's a huge difference uh, between knowing about God and knowing God. And, you know, there's, there's books and tapes and CDs and DVDs and sermons and, 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 I mean, just all of this stuff. But you got to know God yourself. And usually we meet God in our need. And if we're avoiding our own need because we don't even know ourselves, we're not going to meet the one who meets our needs. Does that make sense? And yes. that, that to me is, I mean, until you come to that point where you're broken and you have a need, and the need becomes the thing that you pursue is, is meeting the one who can meet the need and allowing yourself to be naked and known and vulnerable. I mean, once I met Christ, I mean, met Christ, I spent days with him. I mean, I was, I, I quit school. <laughs> I'm like, I can't handle college right now. Psychology is not helping. So I'm basically going to simplify my life, okay? And this was back in the day, you know, when you could live for 100 bucks, you know, that kind of thing. So I, I, I lived on nothing, and I spent all day with God. And I would, I, I, I would walk. I would take walks and, and just 
because I was used to the demonic presence, okay, what I was learning was to live before God and knowing that God is everywhere all the time and to stay connected with him, that it's not a I go to church kind of thing. It is a I, I'm letting myself be known I'm broken, I'm weak, I, I was so needy, I was suicidal, I was demonically possessed, I was all of those things, and that's the person he met. So if there's someone that is capable of meeting that person, I want to know that person. And I pursued him, not in being hyper-spiritual and being super Christian, but being this broken human being that didn't know how, didn't know where, didn't know when. I mean, the need. I let my need be known so that he could touch me there. And that's how I got to know him, was by being weak, not having my act together, not wearing, you know, the latest trends and being hip, cool, and all of that. I was just this guy, and I and I spent time with him. And Todd, I remember, oh my gosh, I remember one of the neatest things that God showed me, if you will, um, I was taking a walk, and there was a river that ran through Muncie, Indiana. I used to love to just walk through the, you know, walk next to the to the river. They had a, a, a walking path. And I was walking one day, and I saw this <clears throat> beautiful, uh, the sunshine coming through the clouds, and, you know, because I really wasn't like, when you're demon-possessed, you're dead, kind of you're dead inside, you're dead to your surroundings. So I never saw things when I was possessed. I never experienced the, you know, the sunshine and, you know, and, and seeing how beautiful God's creation was. So it's like everything, I was discovering everything, the taste of foods and, and just the sensations of life. And, and I looked up and I saw the, the sun coming through the clouds. And I thought, oh, my God, that is so gorgeous. You know, it was just so beautiful. And then the Lord said, look down. And I looked down, and there was a flower growing through the crack in a rock. <laughs> and I just stood there and went, oh, my gosh, look at that. You know, and I, I was just in communion with God. And it sounds like, wow, that's really weird, Jeff. But I got to know God in a very real way by just spending time with him. And I learned to practice the presence of God. I don't. I, I mean, God is everywhere, and, and the Bible actually says that, right? So I've experienced that. So it's not so weird. I don't separate myself from God. I don't compartmentalize, you know, anything. I, I, I allow God to be God, you know, and he is amazingly more than I ever could have even imagined, you know. So there's all of eternity that I'm going to spend just on that road of discovery that started back in 1981. It doesn't seem like it's been that long, but boy, I guess I'm getting older, Todd. <laughs> well, one, one thing you said in the book was the only way out of the occult was through a relationship with God. And that, that's exactly what you're talking about right now is, is you, you have to build that relationship. Oh, you know, it's, it, it it's all about the relationship. And, and Todd, as you well know, I mean, relationship comes from heart, not from head, you know. And there's a lot of knowledge that you can gain. And I have, I have 16 bookcases. I'm a reader. I, I, you know, and I'm still working on 
degrees and certifications, and I love you know the 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 cerebral stuff, and I and I get it, and I'm a I'm a strong proponent of Christian critical thinking skills, but at the same time, man, it has to come from you love God, and God loves you, and that sounds so elementary, but if you if you don't have literally a love for God. I mean God, not the things of God, you know. And when I say the things of God, I'm talking again about, you know, like there's the occult paraphernalia that I saw in my friend's apartment. You know, there's a lot of of Christian paraphernalia, you know. And it's like we're, we, we've got so many Bibles and books and, and crosses and, and, and stuff, but then, then there's God, you know, and getting to know him and loving him. And the way that I express my love is serving others. I mean, it's a natural step. I mean, there's nothing in me that would love other people. But in that I love him, I love others because of him. Does that make sense? Oh, it totally makes sense. Okay, okay. I mean... Sometimes I hear myself talk going, okay, am I just talking in circles? But I wasn't capable of loving others. I mean, as a kid, I was trapped within the, you know, the abuse and neglect and the trauma and the, all of those cages to where the love, it, I, couldn't even, I didn't even love my parents. I mean, seriously. And I, I loved my brother and my sisters, you know, but not fully. You know, I mean, I, I, I wanted to have that full throttle experience of loving you know, because loving is so pure and it's so, it's life. It's what keeps us alive is being loved and loving others. And that's what gives me life is the fact that I receive God's love for, for me as I am. Not I'm, I'm not on a self-improvement trip, you know, but because of my receiving his love, that gives me the motivation, energy, purpose, reason, whatever words you want to put in there to read his scripture and simply obey it. And the obedience of his word brings tremendous blessings. It's like if you if you don't stick your finger in an electric outlet, you won't get shocked. Okay? <laughs> you know, but if you do, you will. And so many people think in their pride that they'll get away with sticking their finger in the electric socket and won't get shocked. And when they do, you know, they curse the electricity rather than looking at themselves. I've learned God knows me better than I do. I need to have that instruction so that I won't stick my finger, you see what I'm saying, in the electric outlet so I won't experience the shock. He's trying to protect me from me. And the blessing comes from it's a good life not to be shocked all the time, <laughs> you know? Exactly, yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I now, um, I mean, from coming out of Satanism, obviously I didn't, I didn't pursue, I didn't continue going after the, the, the psychology at that point. Went off to Bible college, um, seminary, earned my degrees, um, still earning certifications, now my certifications are in addictions, trauma, anger management, those things, because I've shared my, uh, my testimony. I've gone 
you know, on the TV and radio, and I've done a lot of that. But the doors, we're living here in Florida now, and the doors have been open, and my my interest has returned to where I was back in the in the 80s. Uh, I'm I'm going back towards, you know, the helping the little kids, you know, before they pick up the Ouija board or before they pick up the gun or before they do whatever. And I've got a kid I met this afternoon, Todd. He he can't talk to me. He can't talk to me. He's unable to talk. He is he's trapped in there. He's in sixth grade. You know. Somebody's got to right. reach that kid, and right. I, I'm available. I want to be that person for him. So that's what we're doing right now. Um, Refuge Ministries obviously is has been up and running since uh, 1999, and we're uh, we've we've led a lot of occultists to the Lord because they'll come at me, uh, kind of in a mocking way, you know, laughing at me, that kind of thing. Um, but then you begin dialogue with them, and you know they're humans too. They want they want love. They need love, and they're unloved, and they know it. Um, yeah. One of the most and, one of the I was just going to say, and the parents need to know not to pick up that Ouija board and bring it home because I I see it for sale out there all the time. Well, you, you have you seen the newest version? It's called the Angel Board, and it's oh, wow. um, no. Yeah, it's pink um, and because angel communication is so hip and cool now. Um, yeah, and it's marketed towards um, kids between 6 and 11, but it's, wow. mostly, it's mostly geared towards girls, little girls. Yeah. And, yeah. You know, and, and I also wanted to say, too, you mentioned this, but um, – a lot of these kids that are being, you know, brought in, yeah. uh, I mean, we're talking doctors, kids and lawyers, kids. And, and mm-hmm. I mean, th- these are not, these are not just, uh, you know, somebody living in the slum or whatever. I mean, these are well-known kids and, and their, yep. their parents are thinking, Oh, this will never happen to my son. He, you know, yep. um, yeah, parents. Says, parents are always are always the the last ones to find out how their kids are really living because you know as well as I do, you know once you hit a certain age, you start individualizing from mom and dad and becoming your own person, and you live a hidden life, you know. Um, and parents basically are like either checked out. They're like, "Oh, my kid's okay," you know, very presumptuous. Um, and and the, the the kids you know have a whole lot more access to things you know even from the time I, when I was a kid I mean I was a teenager and that wasn't really all that long ago you know with the the internet and just the the tremendous abilities for kids to get into stuff you know it, it, I mean the world is an open door to a teenager and you know we we think that. You know, this kid's this kid's a good kid, kind of thing. And I'm not saying live in paranoia, you know, or live in uh, suspicion or, or anything like that. But a lot of times, parents just check out and they don't know. But one of the best things you can do is, you know, what's on their phone, what's on their computer, what are they looking at, that kind of thing. And I'm not even propagating 
spying on your kids. But what I am saying is the level of involvement, because I was on my own, you know, when I was really young, and you saw what I got into. And, you know, Parenting 101 is you're raising them to be adults. And as long as they're in your home, you know, they're not adult yet, and you can't check out when they're individualizing, you know, and you have to really be a part of what they're what they're about and what they're doing and who they're with and all of it because I have met in the last, you know, 20, 30 years just parents that just are shocked <laughs> at who their kids, you know, well, are. And you they, never, don't, you, the, they don't realize, too, um, you know, a lot of the video games and, and, yeah. and things they're playing nowadays are they're being built by Satanists. Are you familiar deliver- with Grand Theft Auto? Yes. You know what I'm talking about? Yes. Okay, Grand Theft Auto is at the same level of training to kill as a Navy SEAL receives. And these are kids, games that are being distributed at Walmart for $30. Well, I used to deliver pizzas to... This one building over in Mesquite, Texas. I think they've moved on from there now. Um, okay. The building, the building was completely black. They owned the building, and they kind of leased out other deals. But on the sixth floor, uh, their address was 666. And when you walk in, it was this huge devil head or whatever. And they, you know, Duke Nukem and all these other, that's the games they were producing. That's what mm. they're putting out. And, you know, and these games are dedicated. And, and, and the parents wonder, why is my kid having so many problems? Well, yeah. I can tell you why. I can tell you what's getting in your house. Yeah. You know, so. Well, I was going to say the, the thing that, that blows me away is, is now it's not, I thought it's not as concealed. It's, it's, like, it's like the elephant, you know, in the room. It's so right in front of us that, you know, Satan's not even hi, uh, hiding anymore. He used to. You know, you, you used to used to find out, you know, and now he he just he's he's you know on, on sale at Walmart training your kids how to murder. I mean, holy Toledo, come on, you know. I mean, if you have a video game or music or anything, you know, that comes into your house, know what's in your house, you know this this. Music, this this angry music that is being propagated, the thug life and how it's being glamorized. Oh my gosh! You know, it's turning kids into thugs when they're, you know, ten little kids. That and then they go home and they, you know, they listen to the music, they watch the video, and then they do it. And we go, how did that happen? We trained them, for crying out loud. There was nothing else for them to know or to do than what they did. Because, I mean, I grew up, you know, and I still had TV was, you know, was was good. You know, it was it was solid. I mean, there was there was some stuff on there that, you know, the the, the tide was beginning to turn. And I grew up during the the era of you know Anton Lavey and those guys. And but society was still safe, if you know what I'm saying. Whereas now, I mean, you you can go into Walmart and, and be trained to be a killer. I'm working, that sixth, that sixth grader that I was telling you about, his dad is training him to kill police. 
You know? Yeah. It's yeah. like, what? What? You know, what, why aren't we taking him away from his father? You know, I mean, the laws, too, are being set up to where, for crying out loud, I mean, you can't do anything about it because, you know, and then they fill in the blank. And But, you know, I, I before it was like the law just did what needed to be done. And now the law is wrong and the the lawmakers are, are breaking the rules. It just, I mean, the world's flipped. So parenting right now is so important because... Taz, you all know, I mean, parents are the most influential people in anyone's life. And believe it or not, you know, as much as they're individualizing during the, the teenage years, you're the most important person in their life. They won't tell it to you, but trapped in that teenage body is that little boy that used to come screaming, you know, Mommy, Mommy, I need you. And they will always need you. It's a facade that they're so hip, cool, and, you know, detached. So, you know, gain that uh, relationship, you know, during those, those years that they're individualizing and pulling away from you and, you know, have, have those talks. Hey, well, Jeff, why don't you say a prayer over, it sounds like you need to say a prayer over the parents and the children out there that, you know, but uh, say a prayer over them and then... Uh, I'll give the name of your books, and we'll wrap it up, and we may have to just have you back again because there's still a ton of stuff we didn't even cover. I know, I know. We could have gone to the left or to the right, and I think we tried to, and we did. We we discussed two different topics, but we blended it pretty well. So it came out okay, but let me pray real quick, and then um, we'll give the information of if there's anybody that wants to contact me, my website and uh, how to get my books if you're interested. So, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity uh, for this interview and the opportunity to know you. Lord, I just pray for all of those parents and all the kids that are out there that um, need you and need you to show them how to, how to control the things that need to be controlled and how to walk in the wisdom that you provide. And, Lord, I just lift up. Um, Todd, and I thank you for the work that he's doing. I pray that you would bless him, anoint him, and equip him to do even further works, bigger works, greater works. Um, And Lord, thank you again for everyone that's listening. I pray that you would touch them and motivate them to make the change, to make the change from the things that they shouldn't to the things that they can, so that they can be free in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My books my books are available on my website if you want to go there or if you want to send me an email. I'm the kind of guy I get on the phone. I actually talk to people if they want to talk to me. Uh, you can go to my website. It's refugeministries.cc. And my books are on my website and they're on uh, Amazon, you know, any of the, the booksellers on the Internet. Uh, a Libra, a Libri or whatever that's called. Uh, but I, I do most of my business with Amazon. No, that's not a plug for Amazon. They're just convenient. Um, and like I said, if, you, if anybody wants to make contact with me, I'm readily available. Um, I, I, I'm a counselor, therapist. I, I pray for people. I encourage people. I'll send whatever resources I have to help anyone any time I can, 
because by the grace of God, I'm able to. And it's my honor and it's my blessing to be able to. So thank you, Todd. Thank you for uh, the interview. And if you ever want to do this again, like I said, I'm always available. We, we would love to have you on sometime again, Jeff, but we really do appreciate you coming on now, um, especially, I mean, just everything that's going on. It was a perfect timing. Yes. And the names of my books, I, I don't even think we've even mentioned it, is um, my first book was uh, is called From Darkness to Light. And uh, my second book is called uh, Dancing with the Devil. The Dancing with the Devil is uh, a lot of testimonies from a lot of people that I've helped and or met that have come out of various, all of the different occult practices. And uh, they're... They're, both books are, are a blessing, and I would greatly appreciate it if you would take time to read them and let others know about the books. All right. Well, thank you very much. Thank you, Todd. And yes, you are. You're going to have to serve You may be blind or blind, maybe living in another country under another name, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, you are. You're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Well, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. Serve somebody. Maybe a construction worker working on a home, might be living in a mansion. Sleeping on the floor, sleeping in a king-size bed, but you're gonna have to serve somebody. 